Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm India Ross, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. For centuries, physicians have sworn the Hippocratic Oath to keep secret whatever they see or hear in the lives of their patients. But hundreds of millions of people now turn to the web each day to allay their medical worries, and the information they share is far from secret. I'm here with our European technology correspondent, Madhumita Merger, who's been looking into what happens to the personal health information we share with these websites. Madhu, tell us what prompted you to look into online health sites and what they do with our data. So I'd been really interested in the online advertising industry, which functions by buying and selling our personal data, especially after new GDPR data protection rules were introduced in Europe last year. There's far more stringent rules about how this data can be shared and whom it can go to. So I was particularly interested in what we define here in Europe as special category data. And this is particularly sensitive or protected types of data like health, like political beliefs or religion, sexual orientation. And these are actually afforded even more stringent protections compared to other types of data. So I wanted to see if online health sites are sharing our health data in the same way that things like our hobbies or our travel information or our financial data is being shared by other websites. And how did you go about doing this? How did you manage to track the way data is moved from medical websites and shared with third parties? So that's the hard part because I've spoken to people and read a lot about how this data is being shared. And I've been told that medical data is just like any other type of data. But really, we wanted to get some hard evidence and show how this is being moved between websites and third parties. So we used two different tools and these are open source, which means they're free and anybody can use them. The first one is a more high-level tool that we looked at 100 of the most popular websites in the UK, and that pretty much tells us whom our data is being shared with. So we were able to get an entire list of companies that were present as trackers on these 100 different websites. And then we were able to categorize who the most frequent trackers were and get an idea just of the companies that are getting our data, who they are, where they come from. And we found that Google was the most frequent tracker, followed by companies like Amazon, Facebook, AppNexus, and a few others that you may not have heard of, like LiveRamp, Criteo, BlueKai, which is owned by Oracle. So there's a really long tail of companies there as well. And then the other tool we used is called HTTPS Tracker. And this one allows you to zoom in a bit more and look at exactly what data is being shared, not just with whom. So with the help of data journalist Max Harlow, who downloaded and used this tool for us, we were basically able to look at 10 specific websites where we input quite sensitive stuff like our medical symptoms, diagnoses, the names of drugs and side effects, things like the date of one's last period and length of a fertility cycle. And then we were able to track if any of these data points were being sent to any other companies and who those companies were. So we were able to literally see that happening. And what kinds of data did you find evidence was being shared? We found that a lot of the sensitive medical data that we had input into some of these websites was being shared with ad tech and advertising companies. And that included things like medical symptoms, that included diagnoses that someone like WebMD would give us, that included baby due dates, period dates, fertility cycles. So really, if you can think of the most sensitive health information you might put into a website, 
we saw that that was being shared with somebody. What struck you as the worst example, perhaps, of a keyword that was inputted and shared with a third party? I mean, you know, this is as far as your imagination will take you. So we tried everything from drug overdose to anxiety, depression. We looked actually at BHAS, which is an abortion services website, and things like considering abortion were passed on to Google DoubleClick, which is their marketing arm. So really intimate and personal stuff. And you know, we don't know what they're going to do with this data. So all we could see on our end was that the data is being shared. But there's a big question that remains about what happens to that data and what it's being used for and how ultimately it's used to target or exploit us. And so given that we can't say for certain what these companies are doing with this information or where it's going, to what extent should we be worried about this? How likely is it that there are nefarious uses of this data that we should be warned about? I think we should definitely be worried. All the companies who did get back to us when we put these findings to them in some way or another said, yes, we received the data, but we don't do anything with it or we don't use it to target people or advertise to people. But it remained really unclear to me from these responses really what the data was actually being used for. But what we do know based on other people's work and studies that have been done is that there's an entire secondary market for buying and selling this type of data. And we can't see that on our browser because it's done, you know, not on our computers. It's done on the server side or sometimes even in the offline real world. But, you know, there's an entire industry, a shadowy industry of data brokers who make money just from buying and selling data. There's an example of a data broker called Epsilon. And they have a website that advertises to customers what sort of data that they can sell about specific audiences. And they actually have a whole section about ailments and diseases. And that includes everything from bowel conditions to mental health conditions, heart disease, drugs that you might be taking, hearing aids that you might be buying. So they're literally selling information to third parties about people with these conditions. And what does consent look like in this ad tech universe? You know, when I see one of those generic agree to cookies buttons, how does that fit in with your findings here? So this is one of the key parts of what we wanted to show with the story. While it is very disturbing and scary to see that this data is being shared, it may still be legal because there are rules that allow for the data to be shared and sold with the right consent in place. So under the European Data Protection Regulation, The first step is you need consent. That's one of the ways in which you can legally obtain data. So in this case, all of these websites asked for our general consent to trade our personal data. And that's what that little accept cookies thing is about. And if you click on the privacy policy in those little pop-ups, that's supposed to outline to you exactly what sort of data they're going to collect, whom they're going to sell it to, what it's going to be used for. And we actually found in over 75% of the cases that these cookies cookies are basically little tracking bits of code were dropped before we consented. But then even after we consented, the special data that we entered, which is the health related data is subject to, as I said, an extra layer of protection. And under the regulations, at least in this context, what that means is that they need to ask you for explicit consent as well. And, you know, I've been speaking to the data regulator in the UK and others to understand what that means, because it's not spelled out. But really, what they were able to tell me was it has to be something above and beyond just regular consent, which would mean that they explicitly ask you, are you sure you want to share your period data, your fertility data, your medical symptoms with all of these companies? And here's what the companies will do with it. At no point were we shown 
or asked for any of this type of what we interpret as explicit consent. And what does all this mean for the future of this industry? What needs to be done to establish whether this is illegal and how does the industry move forward to clean up its practices? So I think one of the big reflections of what we found is that this whole industry, there's so much interconnected moving about of data that nobody was owning up to doing something wrong and everybody said that they were operating within the rules. But it seemed clear to us that this was a really egregious way to be sharing and profiting of people's data, if that's indeed the case. And the UK's data regulator, the ICO, has actually been looking into this area this past year. And in June, they put out a report that called out the misbehaviour of the online advertising industry, particularly in the area of online auctions. So this is just what it sounds like, an auction process in which people bid to place an advert on your computer. And the entire thing is based on personal data. So depending on how much data they have about a user, they decide how much they want to bid to put an advert in front of you. And the ICO has said that they think there's a lot of misbehavior and possible illegality in this area. And they'd given the industry six months, which is until December, to clean up its practices. And one of the things they called out was this intentional or unintentional sharing of special category data, including health. So I think the next steps here, you know, the ICO is clearly going to look further into the ad tech industry. They've got until December, but then after that, it seems clear that they're signaling there will be some sort of further investigation and auditing of individual companies and how they are using our really sensitive data. Under our data protection rules here in Europe, a company can be fined up to 4% of its annual turnover, which is quite a significant sum. But I think until that actually happens and somebody is called out for their behaviour, the industry is complicit. So I think, you know, for anything to change, there has to be some sort of regulatory enforcement. So we've talked a lot about how your findings relate to general data protection in the EU. What do you know about the legal framework elsewhere in the world and how that might fit into companies sharing personal data with third parties? So we specifically conducted our investigation in the UK because we wanted to subject our findings to the laws that apply here. But we know from research that's been done in the US that because they have looser or no data protection regulation at the moment, although that is changing, it means that data brokers, ad tech companies have a lot more freedom in terms of what data they collect, how they sell it, and what rights users, individuals like you and I have over it. So there's an interesting graphic in our story where we take the same website and map out all of its connections or kind of map out who it's sending data to in four different geographies. So we took the UK, the US, Japan and Australia. And the website we picked was health.com, but it doesn't really matter what website it is. And if you look at the UK versus US, you'll just see the US web is so much more vast and complex because there are many, many more players in that industry. And actually, for many years, data brokers in the US were selling actual lists of people who had certain medical conditions, who might have had vulnerable financial situations. So you could literally say, okay, I want somebody who's nearing bankruptcy, or I want somebody who's had heart disease, and they were selling lists of people to marketers. So it has been considered to be much more exploitative in other geographies. And the EU data protection regulation has tried to limit that. But here, it still remains to be seen if it will be enforced. And how did companies like Google and Facebook respond when you presented your findings to them? 
So I would say Google was really engaged with this. And one reason for that is they really power the entire advertising industry. The products that they offer span the entire life cycle of an online advert. You know, they're present on the demand side, the supply side, and also in the middle, they run one of the biggest ad exchanges on the internet. So even though they follow all the rules and might have really, really stringent rules about how data is used, they also play a role in this industry, they bear a responsibility in terms of how others function. And they did engage quite closely with us on this and tried to explain as much as possible that they don't allow the sensitive type of data to be used for advertising and marketing. Facebook, on the other hand, even though it was one of the most frequent trackers and received some really sensitive information, in particular, they received all of the symptoms and diagnoses that we input into WebMD. They sent us a statement saying that they don't want companies to send them this type of information and they will look into it. But beyond that, they didn't engage with us any further. And as one of the people we quoted in our story said, saying that you don't want this data to be sent to you is like a bar saying they don't want underage drinkers to come in. It doesn't take any of the responsibility, despite understanding that it's possibly illegal or definitely inappropriate. I was going to say, to what extent did you find the responses to be adequate, but presumably not? I mean, yeah, the people who did respond to us, there were a lot of boilerplate, you know, we take the privacy of our users very seriously. And as soon as I started digging into really what they were doing with the data, there would be either one-line answers or answers that didn't actually respond to the questions that we were asking. So it's not really up to us to decide whether this stuff is illegal or inadequate. That's the regulator's job. But as a user of these websites and an average citizen who was trying to figure out what was happening with my data, I certainly didn't feel very enlightened at the end of it. Thanks, Madhu, and thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on Generation Z, Ukraine's role in the US impeachment inquiry, or the giant car merger between PSA and Fiat Chrysler, you can subscribe and listen on all the usual podcast platforms. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.